Today's episode of Hooligans with Halligans. We're just going to jump in back with you guys. Sorry we missed last week. Uh, personally, I had a few things happen to me and I was not able to make an episode. Uh, the episode um, last week was going to start the second half being the end of the month where um, we were going to be talking about patients and how to deal with their actual um, medical issues of the um, mental variety, if you want to say it like that. Um but really, I wanted to talk about how we approach patients and have to have that empathy and understanding that we don't know most of the story and we don't know what exactly is going on in somebody's life, why they're going through what they're going through. And that's not our place to make those judgments. Okay, I care about the right here, right now moments. I care about, okay, what's going on and what can I do to make sure that it's not getting any worse for you, right? Uh, the guy who was running from the cops, I, I don't know why you were running from the cops. As long as you're not an asshole to me, I'm, I'm okay. I'm gonna, I'm, my job is to get you out of this car and to get you in an ambulance and off to the hospital. I, I, don't, I don't have the time, the patience, or the um, willpower to sit here and go, oh my God, I, this guy's an asshole, whatever. You know, it's, it's, we've got to compartmentalize our um, fucks that we give, right? If you give a fuck about something or you don't give a fuck about something, we've got to compartmentalize that. Because if we care too much about something or we care too much about, oh, well, this person, we get too invested in them, then we end up getting hurt. Then we end up getting in a bad position for ourselves, right? So, um... Really, it's just kind of like uh, one of those things. We, we need to, again, go back to mental conditioning. We need to have a healthier approach to how we deal and handle with a situation. And it's not just for us personally. It's for us on the other end where we've got a patient who needs our care. Okay, They don't need you to coddle them. They don't need you to baby them. They need you to take care of them. And taking care of them doesn't necessarily always have to be, you know, super sweet, nice, whatever. You know, I don't know how your moms grew up with you, but my mom, God love her, she's a loving, wonderful woman. But when there was time to have the law laid down, the law got laid down. And that's how we have to be sometimes. You just, sometimes you gotta lay down the law and say, "No, this is how it's gonna happen." Um, you know, we we know for a fact that not. I wouldn't say personally that I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm not a analyst of this, but I would say just a minority of the people who have a drug addiction problem. I would say a large minority. So a big big chunk of this number, not a majority, but a big chunk of the um, drug-using population started out as a legal prescribed drug-using person. All right, we, we hear all these stories about the high school athlete that got injured, and now he is a meth head running from the cops every week. That sucks. Like, if, if you don't have the mental 
ability or the um, emotional capacity to understand that somebody's life has been destroyed, mostly upon on their own choices as grown adults, but these choices and these repercussions have happened from events that happened before that they had before they had the choice on their own. A doctor and their parents made the choice to put them on this medication and told them, you're going to take this medication. Um, but then again, you know, uh, to me, and from what my experience is, what I've seen is a majority of people choose to do this either underage or after the age of 18, whatever. They choose to put themselves in this position. They choose to go, woe is me, my life sucks, let me take some drugs and feel better. And then they feel better for about five minutes. Then they're either dying or going out and causing crime and things like that. Um, again, I, I don't know the whole story. I don't know why somebody's doing what they're doing. Right? I'm, I'm number one, not a cop. I'm not there to investigate people. Right? We all have those, you know, frequent flyers, the people that we know, and we know their personal story a little bit more than other people, and we can have a little more, maybe we even do have a little sympathy for them, like, somebody else has put them in this position, and they have spent the rest of their lives trying to recoup, and it's just difficult, um, you've got the people who have been maimed in car accidents, or by the actions of another person, you know, and they have to live their life dealing with this stuff, it sucks, it sucks for these people, and I feel bad for these people, but there's nothing that I can do in a long-term fix, right? My job is to go there, make that short fix, get them to the hospital, and hopefully something good can come from it, right? The, the suicidal patient, I'm not, I'm not there to necessarily fix all of their problems and make them feel like everything's going to be okay. I'm there to make sure that they know that I give a shit, that I've been in that position, and that I want to see them get better. But we can only start to get better after we make this first step, this first initial step. And that is the biggest part of it. All right, so we have to have that empathetic level, right? We don't need to be sympathetic with somebody. We just need to understand that people need help. And when they have a call for help, that call generally is to 911, and we're the ones who answer it. So this whole ordeal where, like, I know over next door in Ohio, we've got a couple of communities who are wanting to make, like, three strikes rules and these other things. Like, I understand the frustration from the voting population about having to pay taxes and then money goes to this medication and then people don't get insulin for free. And the thing is, is unfortunately diabetes is not it won't kill you right now I'm, I'm not I want to give somebody Narcan is not the equivalent of giving somebody insulin right more than let's let's call it more of this it's it's more of me giving them d10 or glucose or glucagon that is a fast acting it reverts a process immediately and I get them out of that life-threatening situation if somebody's needing insulin 
that generally is not a acute emergency. That is a chronic emergency. That is something that has built up over time, and I have to get you to the hospital, and we then have to do a lot more work to recover that and get you out of that emergent state. It's it's unfortunate. It really is. And it frustrates me when people try to compare apples to oranges. Yes, I understand they're both fruit and everything, but you cannot sit there and claim that this person has any less value than you do and that you have any more value than anybody else. That's not the point here. We have a whole broken system, okay? And there is no right way to fix it. Right, This is such a large problem, such a complex problem that we cannot fix that portion of it. So why are we so concerned and focused as firefighters and EMTs and police officers on how often somebody gets Narcan? Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, they are taking you away from somebody else's emergency that maybe you personally feel like they have more of a need for you than this person druggy overdosing person you know but again we don't know what's going on through this mental problem with this patient right and i'm not i'm not, I'm not just going to sit on the drug portion of it the whole time and the, the the actual like physical problems because again we're talking about the mental issues here and i'm kind of trying to build up to that so for me drug issues just to kind of do that little segue moment is Drug issues are the equivalent of a mental issue, right? We have an addiction to something, and that goes back to a neurological problem, right? We, we, our brains tell us that we need something. When, when you need a cigarette, oh, God, I need my cigarette. You don't need it, but your brain has been cultivated, and the... Nicotine has altered certain synapses to make it feel like you need it. It's not going to kill you not to have a cigarette. It's going to kill you to have a cigarette. It's not going to kill you to not have a cigarette. But it is a mental issue, right? So when we get back onto this drug conversation, you know, we've got people with mental disabilities or, um, you know, acute mental um, issues throw drugs in on top of that and you have a bigger issue, right? And when I say drugs, I'm not talking just illicit drugs or marijuana. I'm talking cigarettes, alcohol, all of that. All right? We have a true problem in this country with, you know, 22 um, military veterans on average killing themselves a day. I can't tell you how many former military members I've gone on, or even ex-military members, and in the, there is a true difference you can tell between the two a lot of times. Uh, you can tell that there is a difference in just the whole mental understanding of the world around you. And um, it is it is really, it's, it's sad and it's disheartening because these guys... Whether or not they were honorably or dishonorably discharged, medically discharged, anything um, anything that could possibly be seen 
you know, as a negative in our world. I mean, they, they lived in a whole different world, right? And their whole world was to make sure that we were, we were safe and we were free and we were living in a country that wasn't being overran. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's disheartening because you see these guys and why I'm going to use them is because it, it can really help with our understanding of the mental problems in this country, right? We can all empathize empathize with the former marine who is shell-shocked, PTSD'd out, uh, lost his family because he was gone too long and the ex-wife or girlfriend left. It, whatever, 100 million problems. If you ever really listen to a former member of the military, they've all got their own individual mentally disabling problem of some sort, of some kind. And it's it's unfortunate because well, you know, how do you how do you handle somebody like that? And how do you deal with things like that? And that's that's what we're gonna be talking about. And it's it's one of those things where we have to sit back and realize that, okay, I'm gonna need to take a minute with this guy. Hey, he may not actually be have an acute emergency in our minds and what we consider an acute emergency you know something that's going to kill you in the next couple minutes but they have something going on that they needed medical emergency there because they have a chronic emergency right PTSD suicidal thoughts depression these are chronic problems that we go back to the mental flu and mental cold deal they've got a mental flu right how many people call EMS for a flu we don't necessarily need to go, but sometimes it's a good idea, especially for an older person, somebody who's had the flu for the last week and a half and they're completely dehydrated. Okay, we've got a 20-minute ride to the hospital. It's not going to hurt. It's only going to make things better that we give them fluids on the way, right? So we're not really doing anything that immediately helps, but we can start to stall out the progression of the disease. Right? When they call 911, they've got a compassionate, understanding, empathetic person going, We need to get you help. Somebody that they can trust saying, You need the help. You know, you got some random ass dude out there going, Oh, you, you need to go see yourself, shrink. You know, screw you, dude. Like, I'm fine. Like, you get defensive. That's, that's how our brains work. And so you may have to go with this man or woman's house four or five times for them to really start to trust you and when you say dude you, you need to go to the hospital they're going to trust you right gaining that trust gaining trust you you gain it from being empathetic I can guarantee you if you were not empathetic to somebody they will not trust you right it goes for the same for a person dealing with schizophrenia or bipolar issues. Okay? It doesn't matter how mentally disabling someone's disease is. If you are not empathetic, they will not trust you. Okay? And it's so much more true when you get further down in the line of the mental diseases that clout judgment. Right? If 
they do not trust you and they have a mental problem that makes them very paranoid, you are not earning that back. Okay? You lie to these people. They will not forget it. And so often, you know, when you have either two or three agencies, depending on how your EMS and fire work, when you have police, fire, and EMS there, it's it's sometimes smarter to make sure that the cops know, hey, keep an eye on me, but just keep your distance, right? And I, I don't care what the cops might think, say, want, feel, or do, okay? Have an open dialogue with your police officers. Have an understanding of, look, I want you here or I need you here, but you have to understand you are a threat to this person and they will not calm down and you are causing them to, you're causing me to be actually more unsafe by being right here than just being a few steps back. All right. I've had a conversation with a cop before. This was a sheriff's deputy in a county that I rarely ever worked in, but I knew this guy just enough to go, hey, I'm going to be kind of a jerk to you, but you're going to listen to me because this guy is going to see that I have control and he's going to trust me. And believe me, we're going to get him to the hospital. Okay? It was a guy, he was having an absolute mental breakdown. We were on the verge of him grabbing a weapon and either using it on somebody or himself. And the cop's like, as long as I have you in my sight the whole time and I have him in my sights the whole time, I'm okay with it. That's fine. But as soon as I say, hey, you're back the hell off, I'm not going to be nice about it because I need him to understand, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm the one in control. Just do that. Absolutely. So we did that. And the, the moment that the officer listened to me and that when the guy, I could tell, and he even said, he's making me nervous. Okay, get the hell out of here. And he did. Oh, well, you're the one in control. Okay, I'm willing to talk to you. And then I earned that trust of I am telling you what's best for you and I need you to make that decision for yourself. Because the more out of control somebody is, if you put back that feeling of control into their hands and they have something to control, then guess what? They get a little bit of that sanity back. They get a little bit of that central back. And Okay. There, there is light at the end of this tunnel. There is no way today that in this episode, and this is going to be a full-on half hour, I probably might even go a little over, that I could go over all these possible scenarios. But what I'm, I'm trying to give as many examples to show that we have to be very delicate and that the empathy stuff that we have talked about before and the mental um, conditioning that we have to have and understanding the difference between a mental cold and a mental flu. This is all kind of coming together. And on today's episode, since we missed the whole episode, I'm going to kind of keep trying to build on this and we're going to do this fairly quickly. So you go into a situation, you observe the situation, look around at the house. Is this a fairly clean house? Is it well-maintained? Okay. So, if you see somebody having a mental breakdown or a mental problem, right, then, and everything else seems to be in order, all the, everything's clean, everything's taken care of, 
more than likely there's one of two things immediately that you can tell. There is the person is having an acute emergency. This is not normal. Normally they live a very average normal life, right? They sit in the mean population. They're not, you know, one or the other, anything like that. Or number two, they have a caretaker, somebody who is at the house taking care of things. Uh, be that a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, hired help, just a good friend, whatever. There's somebody there taking care of the person or the person generally can take care of themselves. If you go into a house that is in disarray and it has been in disarray and it is hoarded, not cleaned, then we have evidence that states to us that, oh, this person, this isn't new. This is a chronic emergency, right? This is this person might be actually a little bit more stable if I can keep control because this is a normal state for them. This, this is not an abnormal state for them, although the state itself is abnormal. that They've been in this state long enough that they, in a way, can... Um, cope and work in within the uh, normal realm because obviously if they can live on their own and nobody's taken away their personal rights and forced them to go into anything well then they've been able to fly under the radar so just walking into the home okay um, the next thing is is when you see your patient you know is your patient guarded from you or are they more accepting? Like, when you walk in and they're instantly pissed off, fuck you, I don't need to talk to nobody, I don't need... Okay, I'm not saying you do. Somebody else called me here. Okay? Making sure that that person knows that you are not there to harm them and that you're not going anywhere just because they want you to, but... You are there to listen and figure out what's going on and what, if anything, you can do to help them. At first, they're not going to want you to help them. At first, they're not going to care or, you know, whatever. I'm not saying this is the guarantee. I'm just giving examples. Again, there is such a variety in what could be going on. I just want to try to paint as good of a picture as possible. And if somebody comes to you and they're, they're freaking out and they're losing it all, it, it's... That's a cry for help. They want they want somebody, and they, there's somebody there, and they instantly trust you. And that's a little bit easier, at the same a little bit harder, because you want to make sure that that attachment doesn't hold. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But we need to make sure that we understand the the extremity of what somebody's going through. Again, is this a normal for them? Do they have to deal with this on a weekly basis, daily basis, monthly basis, right? Or is this something that's brand new, okay? Are we having a behavioral issue that is dangerous to us, right? Or are they dangerous to themselves? Or are they specifically just dangerous to a certain person, you know, are they just dangerous to the therapist that pissed them off? Are they just dangerous to the police officers that are there? Are they, you know, dangerous to anybody who's not in a uniform? Are they dangerous to anybody who is in a uniform? 
we have to judge all that. And that that's what this next step is. And it's just, it's okay. Are they guarding themselves from you or are they being drawn to you? And we need to be able to pay attention to that because if they're not being drawn to you, they can act out a heck of a lot more violently without warning than somebody who's drawn to you. Not to say that somebody who's drawn to you would not change on a dime, okay? You have to be extremely careful with those people on what you say, how you say it, and when you say it, right? Because they can go from trusting you immediately without question and grasping for your help to screw you, you're out, right? So the the person who's guarded from you and upset is a little more predictable because we already know he's upset. <laughs> it's just a matter of what kind of upset, right? So, and then the final thing is being able to get control of the conversation, okay? People who are having a behavioral issue, I finally found the word that I was looking for, behavioral. They're having a behavioral issue. They're going to want to feel like they are in control of the conversation because the only way we communicate really person to person that we can immediately notice is verbal communication, right? We have body language. You can read body language and everything like that. But when somebody's having a behavioral issue, you can't really read their body language. And in vice versa, they are so upset they're not really reading your body language in a correct way. You may be just standing there and they think that you're ready to fight. You know, you could be ready to fight and they think you're ready to dance. The easiest way is for verbal communication. Okay? If somebody's upset about something, number one, let them vent for a minute. Okay? If you keep that valve, if you keep that safety valve shut on them and you don't let them vent, just like any other pressurized container, they are going to explode. Guaranteed without question, explode. Okay? Let them vent for a minute. Manage the time that they're venting. Okay, well, what about this? And then you get them caught on something that you've noticed. Uh, they like to garden. They like to watch movies. Maybe a little distraction away from the problem can kind of help bring down that pressure a little bit more. Oh, you like to... I, I am like the worst gardener ever. If you could give me some tips on being a good gardener... I had a other tech work with me one time. And she picked right up on this guy and his gardening. And she's like, you know, I just... I, it's frustrating, and I, I get so upset about it, but you know, you seem to be like a genius at it. Dude instantly flipped from being super pissed to, oh, you need my help? Let me help you. We were able to control the situation. We were able to get that person out of that rage moment and having that behavioral problem and get them back into a normal level state where we can have an open dialogue, Right? So, you know, going back to the body language thing, make sure you're down at the person's level. You're sitting with them. You have a very monotone, flat voice. You're not raising your voice about anything. Because, again, while it's not good communication, it's misconstrued, you do not want to make voice sounds that, well, to me, I'm being happy, I'm laughing. If you've heard me kind of chuckle every time I'm here, if somebody's having a behavioral problem, they're going to take that as me mocking them or yelling at them, not having fun, whatever. Be monotone almost. Just, okay, 
You know, that's why that's why therapists always. And how does it make you feel? God, that drives me up a wall. But it drives me up a wall less than. And how does it make you feel? Okay, like okay, do you not freaking care? We have to understand that and be aware of that. Our inflection, our body, our body language. So we get on that person's level, and we have to have a conversation with them, right? And we have to say, hey, this is this is how it's going to be. Okay, you don't have a choice on this part, but let me give you a choice that is fair. Not, well, you're going to go the easy way or the hard way. That's not going to work. Guaranteed, you're just going to relight that fuse, and that fuse is going to be right there at the end of that piece of dynamite. Give them something to choose. Hey, would you would you want to sit up, or would you feel better laying down on the cot? Like, what what makes you comfortable on the cot? Boom. They have a choice. You mean, I, you know, and limit those choices. Well, I, w- I want to sit up in the seat. No, can't do that because, you know, policies, it's out of my hands. Got to be in the cot, but let's do what we can to make you comfortable. Let's let's figure out what makes you comfortable in the cot. You can't get them out of the cot, can't get them out of the cot. Let's, let's just try it out. See, Let's see what makes you comfortable. Then they hop right in the cot. You never really even know. You're like, ah. But that's the thing. Again, you have to go back and you have to remember that we have to be empathetic. We cannot lose our patience. We cannot ignore what somebody's saying. Every little detail that they are saying means something. Okay? And we have to pay attention to that and keep note of it. All right? Because that's going to be important to the psychologist or psychiatrist that interviews them. What's going on? Um, And really, that's it. And it, again, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Okay, and not just for you and me, it's for everybody. And we need to, one, number one, make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and that we are mentally conditioned and prepared to take on the runs and the um, events that we'll have to deal with. We also have to be conditioned and prepared to deal with people who are having behavioral issues themselves because we deal with all this negativity and there is nothing to reinforce what we do on a daily basis and there is also nothing positive in our lives that's going to destroy us so we have to be able to manage this properly the other thing is is that we have to go back and we have to look at our patients and we cannot make quick adjustments quick um, judgments on a patient just because somebody's overdosing doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad person I had a woman overdosing on her opioid medication purely because she took her daily medications, forgot she had taken her daily medications, and husband gave her more of that medication. She's not used to taking it. Boom. Lights were going out as we were there. Okay? Never, never assume. Okay? We are not in the business of assuming. We are in the business of figuring the facts out and eliminating emergent situations. Okay? Keep that in mind. We are not here to make judgments. Now, you as a voting person in your community, perfectly fine. But once you put that uniform on, you have to remember, especially for our patients, you do not have a right to make those judgments. You have a right to protect yourself, and you have a right to properly manage the um, interaction you have with somebody, Somebody obviously is not allowed to just sit there and scream at you, okay? 
you are allowed to handle that and deal with it in a professional manner. But you also have to understand people don't understand their job for the most part. Okay? And we have to be willing to understand that. We have to be willing to sit there and accept these things that most people cannot accept. So I'm hoping that uh, maybe I can throw in another episode here in the next uh, day or two. We'll just kind of maybe make the beginning of June still the end of month May. Again, I'm sorry that I wasn't able to make a podcast earlier uh, last week, but again, had a few things happening, got really busy, and uh, again, thank you everyone for listening, and Feel free to subscribe to this show. Be a supporter of the show. Um, this is not free, and I appreciate everybody who has um, helped out and assisted in any way with this show. Um, also, uh, if I get ads on here, please um, support the people who sponsor the show um, and support it because I'm hoping that this grows for everybody, and I'm hoping to hear more back from more of you on what you want to hear uh, content-wise. Again, we're on Facebook now. We are going to start taking our Instagram photos here soon, even thinking about getting ourselves a little TikTok action just because it's fun, and we don't want to be 100% serious all the time. We're, it's, it's about morale and making people happy and laughing as well. So hopefully... Uh, starting in June, it's nicer weather. We're going to be starting up a couple more episodes of, you know, just kind of the funny, jolly stuff. Uh, maybe even get a few people on to interview. So let us know what you want to hear, and we'll be a, doing our best to make sure we can make that happen. Again, supporting the page, not a whole lot, and it helps out so much for us and making sure that we're getting the content to you that you want. Have a wonderful day. This is Leroy, out.